Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Caitlin Roper, an activist, writer, and campaigns manager at Collective Shout for a world of free sexploitation, a grassroots campaigning movement against the objectification of women and sexualization of girls in media and advertising in popular culture. Roper is also an opinion writer whose work has been published in a range of mainstream media outlets, including The Guardian, ABC, Huffington Post, Sydney Morning Herald, and Arena Magazine. She is also a founding member of Adopt Nordic Western Australia, which advocates for the implementation of the Nordic model of prostitution legalization in Western Australia. She has been a speaker and organizer for Reclaim the Night Perth, and she is a co-founder of the Feminist Academy of Technology and Ethics, The Fates. Her forthcoming book, to be published this autumn by Spinifex Press, is entitled Sex Dolls, Robots, and Women Hating, The Case for Resistance. I welcome Caitlin Roper to Savage Minds. You have a piece coming out shortly in Redux about how manufacturers of child sex dolls are offering to customize these dolls based on photos of actual girls. Now, when you wrote me this by email, I got sick in my stomach. I thought, what kind of asshole who made this company thought this was a good idea? My second thought was, oh. we should just, and I'm saying this performatively because of course I don't mean it, but we should just get his daughter on a doll and see how he likes it. Because I, I get really angry when I see this crap of people oh. who think capitalism, well, what a great idea this would be. And it's only a doll, and we'll get into all that later. What these doll manufacturers are doing this means that child sex abuse doll sellers are offering to customize replica girl sex dolls based on actual photos of real human beings supplied by customers, meaning that, of course, these men will not do, as I thought, supplying their own daughters. Of course not. They will be trolling the Internet. They will be grabbing that screenshot from someone sharing a photo from the family getaway, the Christmas vacation, whatever. And this means that photos of real children will be taken and used to create an actual doll complete with penetrable vagina, mouth, and anus to be made in their likeness. What in the... That's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the appropriate response, I think. Um, this is already happening. As I've been doing the research for this book, I've come across a number of companies that are doing this a number of cases where children have already been directly harmed by the production of dolls made in their likeness, sometimes where photos were innocently uploaded to social media, and other times uh, I've seen pedophiles with their own photos. I'm not sure if it's a child that they, they know, a child that is in their care, but they've shared these photos in forums and asked doll manufacturers, you know, how much, give me a quote to make a doll based on this specific toddler. And I've also, you might've read it in, in the book, there's a passage I included with one pedophile from a pedophile forum talking about the doll that he owned, one of many child sex abuse dolls that he owned. And he was saying this one in particular looks like a girl that he was obsessed with and what he would do with it and how he would use it and how that, you know, the impact that that had on him. And so this is already happening and I think it's going to get much worse. I had a colleague, or I still have a colleague, uh, my colleague, Lynn Swanson Kennedy from Collective Shout, and she exposed uh, an online platform made in China selling child sex abuse dolls. And she was able to, you know, she exposed them and was able to get many of these dolls removed, which was great. 
But what she did see was that one of these sellers, at least one, was advertising, you know, the option for, for buyers to share a photo and they would customise a doll based on that. And so it, we, we wondered how many of these dolls that we've seen on this platform are already modelled on real little girls, real toddlers. And then it occurred to me, which maybe has been obvious to everyone else but me, but I just sort of, I realised as I was looking at these different child sex abuse dolls, I thought, well, haven't all of them been modelled on girls? I mean, they must say, okay, we need a face, we need a body type. Like, what are they working from? Are they just plucking from their imagination? Oh, we'll just do this nose and these eyes. Or do they have actual girls in mind? Are they working from photos? Like, where are they getting their inspiration? And I just thought, how many of these dolls are already, even if not marketed as being so, but they're already the likeness of an actual girl? Uh, when I worked in child trafficking in Haiti, one of the unfortunate things I learned, and it's I've, I've actually never been able to discuss this, so I'm going to try this out. Um, I was in a meeting with another woman from UNICEF and the Royal Mounted Police from Canada who were working in the country. And I wish I could never have learned what I learned in that meeting because what I, one of the th many things I learned in this meeting, and this is one of the least crazy things that I heard, was about how the men who groom children or the men who seek out children will collect photos of the atrocious things that they do to these children. And they collect them as if, like when I was a child, I collected hockey cards. I wanted Phil Esposito, Bobby Orr, whatever. Th these men collect these images as if that. I heard this and after the meeting, I just looked at the woman with whom I was working, Miriam, and I could not speak. I have actually never said this to anyone since then. I just thought, what, you know, I mean, I'm sure this goes on a lot as you do research for this book and other works that you work on, but what fresh hell is this? Like, what kind of people do this? Because at the end of the day, wouldn't you think, as I mentioned earlier, that the creator of these companies, of these dolls, each of these CEOs that says, hey, let's just have people send in photos. I mean, they can't be that stupid that they don't realize that people will be lifting photos of unknown children from online forums, even people's Facebook pages. They cannot be that bloody stupid not to know that they cannot get these photos from grooming sites. And there are loads of them underground dark websites and they cannot possibly be or are they just that greedy to think that all is okay in the name of capitalism i have a real problem thinking that this is the world that we share oxygen with these people you know yeah i think you're right i i don't think these men and women mainly men are ignorant i think it's i think they just don't care i think yeah you're right capitalism it's it's a chance to make money and, and some of these men as well are pedophiles and acting in the interest of pedophiles, obviously. But it's also not just the child sex abuse dolls. There are plenty of uh, legitimate, in inverted commas, legitimate uh, sex dolls and sex robots sort of websites uh, that are quite you know, popular. And they still will do this. They will still customise dolls to look like real women. They might say, okay, we're going to have to get around you know, copyright and a few things, oh, you know, that kind of thing. We might have to make a few little tweaks, but it will be 
basically the same. So maybe we'll change the eye color and then, you know, no one can come after us legally, but this is still a doll made in the likeness of a specific woman, a specific woman. And, and they're happy to do that. And that's, that is already going on. There are cases where women have learned about sex dolls that have been made in their likeness as well. Uh, cases where they had no idea this was happening. They didn't give consent and were very distressed upon learning. There was one woman who was an Instagram influencer and she got a message on Instagram saying something about oh, this sex doll looks like you and she kind of just ignored it. But then she got another message later and it was about how the creator had said, this is the woman who inspired the doll and linked to her Instagram and get, he gave the doll her name. So there's, there's stories, more and more stories from women, particularly women who are public figures or have a bit of a social media following who are already experiencing this. But then we know even from news stories reporting from what sex doll manufacturers are saying, they're saying we're getting orders from men saying, I want this doll to look like my mate's girlfriend. Or I want it to look like my next door neighbor. I want it to look like someone I know. And there doesn't seem to be any objection to doing this or other than maybe making a few very minor tweaks just to cover themselves legally. But, you know, it's, it's all about profits. It's a, it's a trade that's exploiting and harming and dehumanizing women and girls. And the argument is just, oh, well, it's, it's not really, it's not real. It's just a doll. It's just a robot. It's a thing. There's no harm, but women and girls are being harmed, even directly harmed in these kind of ways. So We've really got to start having this conversation about what this does mean for women and girls and, you know, reject these, these arguments that it's, it's just a thing. It's just a doll. It doesn't matter. There's no harm. There's no victim because there is, there are victims. This is a part of the larger panorama of how men and women are framed sociologically speaking. I mean, I'm dealing with a situation that's tangentially related, but I've had a stalker since the first of the year. And in dealing with the police on this, I, I can't even tell you, I don't know if I'm more afraid of calling the police or more afraid of my stalker some days, because when I call the police and they come, I have to hope I don't get the officer who says, well, maybe he just wanted to speak to you, completely ignorant of what stalking is oh. about. And I've heard this many times. And I, you know, I start to think about this in terms of how the quote unquote sex industry and you know sex workers are framed same song different verse all of this even if we step away from the likeness issue of these sex dolls what men want men get this seems to be some kind of 11th commandment that was left out of the moses <laughs> tablets right what earth is this that we have allegedly we as women have rights but those rights are constantly, I found this having a stalker, they don't, they don't seem to exist. Mm. Even like where I live, my rights are mediated entirely by who is my stalker. So I, I would have more rights if my stalker were an ex than not an ex, for instance. So I'm thinking, oh, have they been watching too much Law & Order SVU? <laughs> Does everyone have to fit into this kind of fictionalized TV drama of what stalkers are? Because I can tell you, not, all stalkers are ex-boyfriends, etc. as they presume. It's phenomenal. The responses I've had and the, the time I've lost these last six months over this. And that's, again, tangentially related because you start to look at what is going on. In reading your book, I was just shocked to see how many people are pushing this. When I say people, I'll specify industries, the media. Let's just start there. The way the media 
pitches sex dolls and sex robots, right? It's all done in this very sterilized language as if this has no relationship on the safety, the mental well-being, the health of women and girls, even if they're not directly represented on the face of these dolls. That this is just some kind of amorphous thing, this capitalist playground over there that has no bearing on how you and I and our children live. And this kind of disconnect seems quite dangerous to me and stupid as well, because we know that there are direct correlations between the way that people are taught to interact in their everyday lives in society and the way that certain people who are, let's say, represented by these dolls are treated. Right. So is it the case that the man who wants to make a sex doll in the likeness of his BFF's girlfriend, that there is no harm done here? We know that to not be true. We know the fact that women are thought of as dolls in the first place, that that's the first problem. Right. Yeah. And I think you've touched on something that's really interesting there, because on the one hand, we have you know, we have the Me Too movement times up and we're, we're actually starting to have some conversations about the world that women inhabit and the the sexual harassment and the abuse and men's violence against women and how these things impact on women's life and how we move through the world and we're talking about the need for consent and consent education and all these things and what we can do about men's violence against women but then there's this other it's completely disconnected with you know it's not just sex dolls and robots it's in so many things like the you know, just sexist advertising, objectifying portrayals of women, porn, the sex trade, this idea that women are things, that we exist for men's sexual use and that we're less than human and, and that that can sort of go alongside everything else. So consent and the Me Too movement and all these things. And they really, they, they're completely at odds. You can't be fighting the mistreatment and exploitation of women while simultaneously encouraging their dehumanization. And a lot of the narratives about sex dolls and sex robots in the media, so that, you know, whether it's TV shows, movies, documentaries, or even the stories that we're told, it's very much just like a bit of fun. And if you're a cool girl, you'll be okay with it and you won't have any issues, you'll be fine. And, and that's very much, you know, you have to be sex positive and you can't kink shame. And then on the other end, you have these narratives about all oh, these poor lonely men They're, they can't find a wife in real life so this is the next best thing so we all need to just be you know really sympathetic to these men and these men's needs and you know if they don't get to have a sex doll then they're being sexually deprived because they have a right to sexual access to women's bodies but it's very much this narrative we all have to cater to men's sexual entitlement without again the acknowledgement that men's sexual entitlement is what got us here in the first place that's that's something we actually need to be addressing. But it's very much decontextualized. So the stories you see, it's, you know, it's like, oh, here's a story of this really sad man who, you know, he's just really lonely and he didn't have anyone in his life. And now he has a sex doll or a sex robot. Oh, he's much happier. Isn't that great? It's not hurting anyone. So it's not ever framed as like, here is, you know, here we have men, here we have women. Here's, you know, the, the power dynamics that are going on there. And here's what it means when replica women and replica girls are produced for men's on-demand sexual use it's very much just like oh it's an individual thing and if it makes someone happy that's great and there's no I mean not that we would expect there to be but there's really no 
analysis or understanding of, you know, the wider patriarchal context in which these dolls are being created. What you just mentioned about our inability to have two thoughts on the same page, to stick together, me too, time's up. Those are the words that are now used, but let's just face it, to recognize that women are exploited, that girls are exploited, to recognize that on the left side and on the right side for everyone to say, well, what do we do as a society? What do I do as an individual that might exploit women and girls? That was never, of course, posed while the media was focused on Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein, et cetera. No, that was never actually posed. And, and what's phenomenal is, you know, CNN that loved to exploit these stories would run then it's, you know, my favorite stories by CNN are the billionaires with yachts. They, they seem to proliferate, especially during lockdown. Well, you know, the establishment of wealth as a good thing has a second chapter because with all the, with all the narratives in media and Hollywood about you know, men with younger wives. I mean, there's always that exploitation scene in the movie. There's always the, the uh, pole dancer. There's always the stripper. Somehow these are signs in Hollywood narratives of success. No one ever questions the age of the pole dancer. No one ever questions, is she pole dancing by will? Has she been trafficked, right? So we have this very pat narrative within the media that we take up as a culture that women are empowered by doing certain things. And that's where neoliberal feminism came in and said, well, the crotchety feminism of the 60s and 70s, we're gonna do away with that because women really just need to change the narrative. We need to own the means of production. They, they thought this was somehow Marxism. We need to participate in not our own exploitation, we're gonna be our own CEOs. They changed the language similar to the gender language wars that are going on. And what's phenomenal about this, you write about this in your book, where sex dolls and robots have been pitched within media, especially as the solution to men's supposed sexual needs and or deprivation. Now you gave some examples there. I remember the recent case, maybe a few years ago of the man in Holland who's disabled and he needs a sex worker. So the state was gonna pay for it. And I kept thinking when that media story came out, uh, sorry, he's disabled, but no, women are not his service tools. You get this so beautifully in your book, however, where you say, referring to the feminist philosopher Melinda Vadas in your chapter, Real Men and Unreal Women, I'm quoting you, she is not really a she, but in it, sex dolls and robots are objects, but they are not neutral. They are an expression of women hating. If objects can be used in place of women, then women and objects are interchangeable. If pornography, an object, is used as a woman, Vadis theorizes, a new category of reality is created comprised of both flesh and blood women and the female pornographic object. Women exist in the same category as objects, which means women are not necessarily persons and personhood is not a necessary property of women. If women are non-persons, their sexual identity is therefore constructed as rapeable and their consent to sexual activity becomes irrelevant. That stuck to me because this goes back to the recent debates about the erasure of women and it's happening. The word woman 
is only the linguistic end of this. Our ability to say no is the unspoken end of this. And as I read this part of your book, I just kept thinking, why is it that those connections between Time's Up, Me Too, etc., are purposefully being elided by the media? Because the media is making a profit off of these stories as well. Not just media, we'll get to it in a bit, but universities as well that are gaining money through grants to make studies that end up underlying, uh, excuse me, that end up underlining the positive aspects of these dolls. That maybe this is a good thing because women won't be raped if men are busy fucking a doll, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely what we're seeing with um, different studies and all different academics. It's when I first started doing the research on this, when I started going through and reviewing, sorry, reviewing the literature, I was actually really shocked. I, I basically couldn't find any objections outside of feminist anthropologist Kathleen Richardson, who is brilliant and doing really great work in this space. But other than Kathleen Richardson, the literature was basically just pro-sex robot. And, and the arguments were so just unconvincing, just kind of, I mean, it wasn't empirical data most of it. It was mainly uh, speculative kind of uh, like journalistic writing, like just discussing the ethical implications of sex robots and how they could be used and all the ways they could be utilised to help different men with their sexual deprivation, their supposed sexual deprivation. But it was basically just seen as like sex robots are the answer to everything because sex is good, therefore more sex is better. So everyone should have a sex or like it's good for if people who are disabled. And I say people because that's the language they use, although they mean men. They talk about people who are disabled. <laughs> they talk about people who are elderly and, and all these different, you know, people throughout society who could benefit from, you know, having a replica woman to fuck on demand excuse me but um that's what they're saying but they're talking about men and they're always talking about men and I always I think it's quite interesting as well that they just don't say that when I'm thinking the reality is these dolls are overwhelmingly female bodied and you know made in the likeness of kind of porn stars and so they're the really pornified look at the, you know, the large breasts and the small waist and and everything and they come with penetrable orifices that accommodate a man's penis so when they're saying oh you know they could be forever they're using the gender neutral language I'm thinking we we know what's going on though these are dolls made for a male market that is why they are made and there's very few you know relatively male-bodied sex dolls but they're still often marketed to men or as being for men like when you look at uh, sex doll brothel websites they might have the occasional male-bodied doll mostly it's it's all female-bodied dolls but if there is a male body doll, it'll be under the category gay. So it's still for a heterosexual male audience or for a male uh, market, at least. Uh, but yeah, it's this very gendered thing. And it's very much something you said earlier, you said about if men want it, they have to have it. And that was based, uh, that is how I would sum up the academic research on this topic. It's very much this belief that, you know, men need to have sex. They should be able to have sex. They want to have sex. Therefore, we must come up with something, even when men are saying they want to sexually abuse children and little girls. It's still, oh, well, how can we find a way? How can we accommodate men's sexual desires to rape children and that they have to have that? And it's 
it's like a need and it's even maybe inhumane if we don't provide them with something so it's again front and center is men and men's sexual entitlement and this is being framed as a need that must be met and then even in this really manipulative way not just is it a need that must be met but if we don't meet it or maybe these men will rape children maybe they'll keep sexually abusing and like if you don't give them what they want that they'll you know continue to hurt children and that if you object to this, then, oh, well, maybe, you know, you have your morals are taking over instead of, you know, rational kind of scientific thought. But it's just so, in, so deeply entrenched in all the literature I'm finding. It's just, it's so rare to find critical or feminist responses to, to the trade in sex dolls and sex robots. And I'm reading, I mean, you would have read it in, in chapter two on, on all this, just such ridiculous arguments, arguments that, you know, NASA really needs to be thinking about sex robots and, and things like that for astronauts who go on space missions, because what if they can't have sex on demand? That'd be terrible. And, and it's just like, really, how is this a priority? Men just need to have their sexual entitlement catered to everywhere, like even in space, that's got to be something that's a priority. They need to have replica women that they can use on demand. It's just, it's ridiculous. And as I was reading all of this, I, I remember just being like, what am I reading? What is this where is the serious <laughs> academic research on this it's, it felt like reading the work of men's yeah. rights activists and I was just like what is this it was mind-boggling it all fits into the contradictory space of of nonsense that we've been handed by the gender lobby as well where on the one hand everyone's non-binary everyone should be pushing their sexual boundaries but we see whose boundaries are actually being pushed. When I read that part about NASA, I cracked <laughs> up because I kept thinking, wait a sec, the only boundaries they want to push are those of women, especially lesbians, to accept female dick. But the answer to that, of course, if I were using the gender queer approach, would be the astronauts can just have sex with each other. Just be gender queer. Like, this is the contradiction as everyone is pushing this hypersexual narrative on women, but it's never applicable to men. And in fact, the same thing with the specificity of uterus havers, menstruators. We're not seeing men being referred to as front danglers <laughs> or whatnot. We are seeing men being referred to as men. And there's a very specific point here within media, the scientific community, academia. It's a very elite class that's pushing these narratives because when you go to the favela, people know what men and women are, people know what sex exploitation is, and any woman will laugh when you say that men's sexual needs are being placed. Like they, It's not even a feminist argument. Women know that this is going on, that the trafficking of women and girls in prostitution is based on the underlying misogyny of worldwide culture that men need to be serviced, that what men want, mm. men get. And so these dolls extend that in the most perverse way. And I say perverse simply because, oh my God, I was astounded by the amount of support these dolls are receiving by self-proclaimed feminists, what I call the pole dancing empowerment feminists, by the way, who have mistaken capitalism for empowerment, objectification for selfhood. Your second chapter looks at these robots as the solution to men's sexual deprivation. And these neoliberal feminists would, of course, lay the claim that your view of deprivation is prudish, that if men are not hurting anyone, 
Caitlin, why can't these men just fuck it all? Even if we, we take the face specificity off, why can't they just do this? Why can't they have sex with a six-year-old doll? Yeah, and that's the argument, isn't it? The other arguments, the so-called feminist arguments, are that well, we just need to take these uh, replica porn dolls modeled on women's bodies um, for men to use all the time and make them a little bit more feminist. <laughs> like we just need to have more diverse body types with the dolls. They need to be more diverse genders or, or you know, we need to make it that women can use the dolls as well. There's more dolls for women and, and then equal and all good. And it's just completely lacking any, you know, real world, real feminist analysis or anything like that. It's just, yeah, it's, I'm really, have been quite surprised by some of the arguments that I've seen, but that, as well, there's just a complete inability, I suppose, or unwillingness to engage with the, the real world harms from these products to women because they're premised on the objectification and dehumanization of women. Like first and foremost, it's, it's a female body doll. It's a, an object used in place for woman that is defined by its sexual availability. It is there. It exists to be sexually penetrated and it's a replica woman. So the idea that, that this could be done in any sort of feminist way or any, any way that doesn't harm women, it immediately, just by being what it is, it undermines women's humanity. It contributes to this idea that women exist for men's sexual use. Even children exist for men's sexual use if men want it that way. And that men have an entitlement to sex and that men's sexual needs or entitlement matters more than everything else, including women and girls' basic human rights. In part of your book, you go into the interstices that bring together the problems of the same neoliberal jaunt that views empowerment as fundamentally an all-out embrace of capitalism in your chapter entitled Girls for Sex Who Don't Rebel, Robot Prostitutes and Sex Doll Brothels. As you know from your work on prostitution, the rebranding of prostitution as sex work was the first cog in the machinery to shift the public views of women as being victimized and oppressed. You pull this into your chapter looking at how sex dolls are merely an extension of the willing sex worker turned around. Suddenly, she's inanimate and now not real, so nobody's really being harmed. It reminds me of what the gender lobby pulls with this incessant derision of women's bodies right, by referring to us as vagina havers and menstruators and then shifting that argument around in a way to suggest that it is in fact we who are reducing ourselves to our parts to try to get out of a very large discursive ditch that they've dug for themselves. The arguments don't really pan out in either way from the nobody's being harmed shtick that they pull with the sex doll industry to the sex work is work mantra by the prostitution lobby. They claim empowerment is about making a buck at the end of the day. But if you start to look at that from a truly leftist perspective, and certainly Karl Marx and more specifically Engels, Friedrich Engels did, he is quite critical of the way in which women are reduced to artifice. He talks about prostitution. He is very critical of prostitution. This was well over 150 years ago. What has shifted from then to today, where somehow in the late 
19th, early 20th century, you had more consciousness about the oppression of girls, especially sex workers, you know, of prostitutes, than today. There seems to have been a complete capture by lobbies, by these self-imposed human rights groups, all in quotes, by women's rights groups, all in quotes, sex worker rights groups, all in quotes, to allow for this empowerment narrative that fits into, of course, the sex doll industry. The notion that nobody is harmed is something I cannot get my head around because I'm thinking you have to have no conscience at all to make such a statement. What has shifted? I, I do think there's a lot more focus on the perceived women's choices rather than the men's choices or the, the wider system. So it's much harder to argue with if you have a woman saying, well, I choose this and I love it and it's empowering. It's harder to argue with that. Whereas if we're looking at a system and saying, this is a system where men with who are economic, economically advantaged um, or in a better um, financial situation than, than the women that they're purchasing, where they are paying for sexual access to the bodies of women and, and even children. If we look at it from that perspective, then that's a very different way of framing it but when we use the language of sex work and sex worker and all of those things I think it feeds right into the, the the choice kind of way of looking at it and it it makes the men invisible it makes the men who are doing the purchasing and who are sexually exploiting the women and the children and the men who are profiting from this system it makes all of them invisible and focuses on the woman and this idea that it's a woman's choice that a woman is doing legitimate work and that to criticize the system or the industry is to hate on the woman when in reality being critical of a system of commercial sexual exploitation you're not objecting to the the women and girls who are being exploited you're objecting to the system and to those with power who are participating and perpetuating the harms to women and, and actually doing it so I think a lot of it is about focusing on the women and th this narrative, this the happy hooker narrative, really, that, that it is empowering and that it's a choice and that it's anti-feminist if you object system or, or call out the harms to women from that or make the point that it is the commodification of women's bodies and, and girls' bodies because it's like, oh, you're telling a woman what she can do with her body rather than you're objecting to men doing what they want to do with women's bodies. So, yeah, I think the, the language of sex work and sex worker and, and all of that has been really effective at focusing on certain aspects and invisibilizing the drivers of the sex trade and the exploiters in the sex trade. That's an interesting point that you raised because from the 1960s onward, and this was criticized recently on Savage Minds, we had an article run that was very critical of Marcuse and the post-Marcuse revolution, and pop psychology has fit into this as well, this idea that you're not oppressed, you can turn that bus around, you can be in the driver's seat and control your life, right? It's just getting the right narrative. I worry about these kinds of self-empowerment techniques where we're supposed to view victimhood as a weakness. It's a weakness of society for sure. I wouldn't call it a personal foible or a, a flaw. I would say we need to start looking at structural problems. 
and we really need to start looking at them in the sense of not making it a fad or a university program that's ditched after a few years. And I, I'm very concerned by the fact that we saw this in the 90s where women's studies departments were quickly converted into gender studies departments. The focus being on, it's not that women are being subjected to horrific social tortures and traditions. It's that we're looking at the wrong thing. It's not women's rights and girls' rights here, it's gender. <laughs> so we shifted the language around oppression to say, well, let's look at the feminine fleeing the body. So you saw loads of courses on certain types of French feminist theory. I just quoted from Sixou and, and uh, Catherine Clément, The Newly Born Woman, which is itself a great book. But the way it was presented within academia was this kind of detachment the poetics of femininity completely deprived of any political, social, economic origin. When we start to look at men's needs towards women and girls, you have all this academic literature out there, and you refer to this in your book. I went ahead and did my own research because I just wanted to see how much of this was out there. God, it's out there and it's everywhere. Tanya Krub is a researcher in Germany frames this as a problem of capitalism being dominated by men, that we just need more women. I won't read the quote here, but it's well worth checking out her article where she basically says that women need to play a more active role in the creation of post-gender pleasure robots and doing our part in changing the narratives about sex, love, and robots. So that's, again, what I said earlier about, this is all about language. The problem with language isn't just, you know, calling us vagina havers or sex workers. It's a lot, it's the ethical dimension behind the, the window dressing of language is what the real issue is here. It's the ethical part that language is hiding. It's getting us to understand that we just need to love and have sex in a different way. We need to open up women to different forms of pleasure. What the fuck, Caitlin? It feels like gaslighting. And I've written about it in the book just how the ways that women are essentially groomed to tolerate men's sex doll and sex robot use and the ways that they're gaslighted as well, whether it's by their partners who are you know, turning to the doll rather than them, and, you know, these women are feeling you know, really distressed by this and feeling that their partner has chosen their doll over them. And sometimes their partner has. And cases where women are even discussing amongst themselves on online forums and, and places like that. And they, they, they say things like it, it's really you know, upsetting and they fe it feels like their partner is cheating on them. But they're like, oh, but I know he's not. I know it's not like that. And they they, they express their deep distress and hurt and then immediately follow up with a comment just to downplay, oh, it's, it's nothing though. Like, I know it's just a doll. Like, it's just the problem is me. It's, it's me being insecure. But it's these women being told that they're not allowed to have a problem with it, that, that the, problem, if, you know, the problem is not that their partner has bought a replica woman for sex on demand and one that they perceive is better than them and is hotter and their partner desires it more. The problem is how they feel about it. They're uptight. They just need to loosen up. They just need to be okay with it. So women are just being groomed and gaslit or gaslighted um, at every turn here. We're seeing women talk about how, you know, they don't want to kink shame, but, and then following with their concerns about the dolls. 
but we're we're seeing women effectively having been silenced by the you know the whole sex positive liberal feminist you know everything sexually every sexual act is good if someone likes it then it's good and sex positive and and it's bad to critique different sex acts or to object to them and you know to point out violence and things like that that's kink shaming so we've taken the language from women and left them where they feel like they can't object where they just have to endure this and there's nothing that can be done you're listening to savage minds and we hope you're enjoying the show please consider subscribing we don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you now back to our show constantly amazed in the gender debates how all these men who claim to be transgender are offended that we call them men but we are not supposed to be offended of their replication their reproduction of the most harmful stereotypes to which they say but other women do this too well big difference fyi big difference between an actual woman running around in fishnet stockings and super red lippy than a man doing this. Two different vehicles right there. And while I won't run around telling women what to wear, nor will I tell a man what to wear, I find it phenomenal that the focus in mainstream culture today as we speak is with sympathizing with these is, is in sympathizing with these men who are deprived of our affirmation of her trans woman or now calling them women. And it's the exact same thing as what you've just said, that we are supposed to sympathize, but my penis needs servicing. Not with the historical enormity of the exploitation, trafficking, rape of women and girls. And then the new dimension of this, which is this so-called harmless dimension of sex dolls. And if people cannot understand the relationship between the symbolic and the real, I don't know what to say, except maybe get an online 101 Freud course going there, or simply <laughs> ask yourself, why, why not you go and order a sex doll today and send in a photo of your mom? You know, like most men would be telling me to fuck myself for making that suggestion. And isn't it interesting that every man has that line they draw? They always have that line they draw yeah. with their mothers, their sisters, their their whatever, BFF friends. But it's us who have the problems of prudery. It's us who are seeing the negative side of exploitation. Don't, don't be such a bummer, Caitlin. Be more <laughs> sex positive. Get out there and just come on. And we're seeing this within various lobbies, by the way. What is happening that we are supposed to now accept all of this enormity of men's suffering because their penis is not being served because their desires are not being met and women are again expected to stand in and allow for the replication of their likeness to allow even for their bodies to be put onto assembly lines so that in the end we are actually saving ourselves, Caitlin, from being raped. We're doing ourselves a favor. That's the bottom line right there, right? That's what we're told all the time. Better those dolls than you. What sickness? 
That's right. And that's the argument made so often, even when we're speaking about child sex abuse dolls, people will say, I mean, that's horrible, but isn't it better that men use these dolls than an actual child? But there's really no evidence that that's the case. And, you know, logic, common sense would say that it's not. Over the past year or so, maybe a bit more, I've been documenting news articles, mainly from Australia, but also outside Australia, where men have been found and charged with possession of child sex abuse dolls. And they are almost always still sexually offending against actual children. So they're either in possession of child abuse materials, images and footage of children being abused, raped and tortured. Sometimes they're acting out themselves on children or involving children in their sex doll use. So there was there've been a couple of cases just in the last few months. One of, uh, one of the guys was a teacher and he printed out photos of his students and made them into masks and put them on a child sex abuse doll that he would use. So it's, all, it's other ways that children are being directly harmed by this. But there's, there's really so many ways, you know, in addition to children directly being involved and directly being harmed. It, when we have both dolls modeled on children and on women, it's, it's sending this message that women and girls exist for men's sexual use, that, that this is legitimate and that it's normal and acceptable for men to own and use women and girls in these ways. And especially when we're talking about child sex abuse dolls, as if that's an alternative to child sexual abuse. Well, really, it's, it's an opportunity for practice. It's not preventing anything. They're still perpetrating the acts is still doing it it's just they're doing it on a replica child so you know what's to stop the escalation from continuing because we know that there is a pattern of escalation when it comes to these things that perhaps it, it starts with viewing images or footage of children being abused and then and, and it escalates from there so when you now have a replica child that you can act out on that's much closer to actually abusing a real child so it sort of serves as the next step or, or a bridge between fantasy and reality. So the idea that oh, it's better that they're using a doll, well, it's, it's not really. It's just, it's, it's fueling the problem. It's feeding it. Whereas, you know, we could be saying, what are we doing to address this? How are we fighting child abuse? It's like, well, let's just encourage it. That's what it essentially is doing when we legitimize and normalize children as sexual objects for men to use. And even painting the, the picture that, children like this I've seen I've seen some horrible stuff as you would imagine in my research in terms of child sex abuse dolls I've seen dolls modeled on on little girls on toddlers and babies I've seen images of like toddler sex dolls with with dummies like a dummy in their mouth or a pacifier Um, I've seen um, more recently I've seen dolls that have tears painted on their face they appear to be crying they have red eyes I've also seen dolls that look, there was one doll I came across a few weeks ago that looked like a girl in a very, in a high profile missing person, a kidnap case. And I'm not sure, I can't say for sure, but I thought that looks a lot like this specific girl who's quite high profile. I've also seen sex dolls modeled on children that are sleeping. So it allows the user to enact his, fantasy of raping a sleeping child so the idea that this is an alternative to child sexual abuse or that it's it's better that they do this than abuse a, a real child 
like I find that really hard to believe that this is not actually fueling the problem and making it worse and encouraging that sort of thinking towards children. I find this topic so distressing because I feel like we're just saying water's wet, yet we have to talk about how water is wet, you see. And I would like to make a sex doll that goes like this. Here, hear me out. Man fucks doll, his penis is chopped off. There, done. You know, I know this is maybe too much for some people, and I am someone who I've attended protests in the States against capital punishment. And I remember before I had a child, a friend of mine made a comment about you'll change your mind once you have children. And uh, I said, no, 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 I, w I won't. I think I might have in the sense of, uh, I don't know if you ever saw Antonia's line, that wonderful film from the late eighties, I believe, where it's a Dutch film where the grandmother finds out that the granddaughter was raped or the daughter was right and she goes and kills the man you know like it's a great scene in the yeah. movie i just think that the prevalence not just the prevalence overtly but as we know all the underground networks and let's go beyond that let's go to the uncomfortable parts that the media again won't cover the media loves to do like prince andrew was friends with jeffrey let's yes okay we know that but let's talk about men in our lives all the men who just turn a blind eye to when their friend makes an inappropriate comment about a 13 year old or about a woman in a way that's deeply disturbing. And I, I have to wonder about what goes on in bro dude culture when we are not in the room that is allowed to exist because alpha men lead the discussion and the rest are too afraid to speak out. Do they, are they afraid of losing their asshole friends? I don't know. Like I, I've always wondered about how this kind of culture is so pervasive and yet men act as if, and like really good men, I presume act as if like, oh, this is shocking, but it is not shocking to you and I, and we don't have penises. Like we know, like I am super careful about my children. I don't just leave them with anyone. In fact, when I was living in the UK, I wanted DBS checks for anyone who's going to take care of my children. And people might think that's weird or severe, but the reality is that we're living in a world where we don't know whom we can trust, who is going to take care of your children, upload indecent images, et cetera, et cetera. And not to be, you know, overprotective or accused of being overprotective, but the reality is that if we refuse the reality on the ground, which is a world of exploitation, not just of children, fishermen in the Indian Ocean are, as we speak, being exploited. There are men being enslaved on fishing ships, exploited right now as we talk. So you don't even have to have a vagina to be exploited. People exploit because they can and because there's no enforcement of laws. Another thing I learned in my work in child trafficking in Haiti, you can have all the laws on the books but if there's no enforcement of them, those laws are toilet paper. So what is it within the world culture of bro dudes that allows this to perpetuate so that you have men reading the Sunday Times saying, did you know Prince Andrew was friends with Jeffrey Epstein? That's shocking. Like we don't have to be high profile men to know the crap that men do and say to each other, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point. I think 
I guess for me, it all comes back to the objectification of women, that it's so deeply entrenched in our culture, that it's so ingrained and just so normalised and everywhere. So I, I always think people can't see it anymore, that it's so unremarkable because I know sometimes you get people who will object to child sex abuse dolls, for example, and say, oh, that's really wrong because that's kids and that's terrible. But they don't see, they don't make the same connection when it comes to dolls modelled on the bodies of women. And I always think that's really interesting. I'm like, so how is it that we can look at child sex abuse dolls and think, yeah, it, it would make sense that when you legitimise children as existing for men's sexual use, that's going to have harmful real-world consequences for children. But when we do it to women, people are like, oh, well, that's okay then. It, it's the same sort of approach we have to pornography where people rightly condemn child sexual abuse material pornography that's made using children children being abused but they say you know when it's women or adult pornography then they kind of say oh well you know that's consenting adults it's fine and it's like the the critical analysis is just not there so it's it's the same sort of thing just this belief that it's normal and appropriate for women to be sexually objectified and maybe it shouldn't happen to children or, or little girls, but, but that it's not wrong when it happens to women or that we can't even see it anymore. Certainly there's this notion that if you do see it, well, it's, it's a highly likely that you will be made into the problem, right? And you hear these kinds of stories like within families where one of the daughters says, dad raped me. And then the other daughters who were also raped turn on her because they are not able to accept what happened to them. And I know of stories like this personally uh, from friends. And I'm wondering if that mm. kind of element has not also been seamlessly fit into our society where people refuse to see the exploitation of women, even for stupid ass reasons like, oh, that stop being so feminist that that's over since the 70s. Right. So we're supposed to like shut up and stop talking about women and girls oppression because that song's been played too long or because it makes men uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yep. And then I was reading about the most disturbing thing. I don't know if you know about this drag artist in Aberdeen who did a performance with a Madeleine McCain doll and stabbed the doll and then simulated drinking her blood. And the audience, part of the audience was horrified, but a good number of the audience was cheering him on. So when you start to look at the surface of what is considered appropriate, sometimes we don't have a barometer as a society, even taking away the sex element of that. My next question for you is this, what are the laws currently on these dolls? Because I suspect uh, you're about to give me some really bad news here. Well, yeah, pretty much. Um, in terms of child sex abuse dolls, there are some countries and some random states here and there that have criminalised them. They're criminalised in Australia and there's pretty serious penalties. Uh, so there's like quite significant jail time and um, substantial fines. They're illegal in Germany and a few states in the US. There's other places where they're not necessarily, or that they may not be specific laws, but they're kind of captured under obscenity laws that are already existing. But this is not the case for, for regular sex dolls, for sex dolls modeled on the bodies of women. So these are generally seen as fine. And, um, and it's actually interesting because in South Korea, they, uh, a couple of years ago, criminalized the 
child sex abuse dolls and they made the point that you know these are full but then they wouldn't criminalize dolls model on the bodies of women because they said oh well that's not the place of the state to get involved in you know people's sex lives and it's like well hang on like do you see the inconsistency here that there's this you know like I said before the acknowledgement that there is direct harm to children from dolls that perpetuate this idea that they exist for men's sexual use but dolls that objectify women and that you know perpetuate rape culture and promote violence against women and men's sexual entitlement again all that's just part of sex and that's you know so yeah it's um we're not really seeing any movement in in that space I do think there's we could see more progress on the child sex abuse dolls my colleagues and I collect a shout we're trying to uh, start a campaign to get uniform legislation to criminalize child sex abuse dolls globally but the question always is you know, strategically that's uh, there's a greater chance of that being effective but then what about all the dolls modeled on on women and the fact that people don't seem to see that that's a problem what do you think the solution is to this aside from women getting on the streets and protesting which of course will be ignored or etc nothing will really happen as long as capitalism I, I see capitalism as a huge participant in our oppression and I don't see most people getting behind dismantling capitalism today sadly mm, no that's true um I will say we at collective chat we've had some success again with the child dolls but the the approach has been to challenge the major platforms that are selling the products so we've seen child sex abuse dolls sold on platforms like Etsy, Alibaba, Amazon, eBay, all those kind of things. So what we've done in the past is we expose these platforms. We might share on social media some of the images that we've come across and, you know, publicly ask questions like how does profiting from the promotion of child rape um, or babies, you know, how does that line up with your corporate values? And when we expose this stuff, like sometimes the corporates will, you know, they'll take action, they'll put things in place. We had a successful campaign in 2020 with Alibaba, which is a Chinese um, company. And we were engaging with the Australia and New Zealand representatives. And we got in touch with them and they removed all child sex abuse dolls. And then as a result of ongoing positive communication with them, they then geo-blocked all sex dolls to Australia. So there are things that can be done. Uh, and I think it's quite an effective strategy to, to go after the platforms. You know, if you go after a certain website that's just all about sex dolls or child sex abuse dolls, I can't imagine you'd have much impact. But when you go after some of these global giants and um, say, you know, here's what you're, you say your corporate values are, but how does that line up with what you're doing, what you're profiting from and what you're facilitating, which is the sale of illegal child sex abuse material when it's in Australia so I have found that that's been quite a good approach and maybe there's something to that maybe maybe um, you know women need to come together and and start with these major companies and say hey this is what you're doing this is what you're contributing to how does that line up like what are you doing for women like you know outside of this do you claim to be you know promoting gender equality or all the other things that these companies say like how does this stack up with what you're actually doing in the world. You mentioned the Chinese company. Also, there's Taobao, which is like the Amazon of China. And when I lived in China, I had to order from them at times. And I was 
constantly dismayed by doing a simple search for something I needed for my daughter, clothing item, for instance, and out would come what were really pornographied images of children. I mean, it wasn't sexual oh. overtly, but you would have little girls print like in poses that only a porn actress would be in. Okay. And I found this really disturbing. And this was, you find them at times on Amazon, less so, but it does exist on Amazon. But on Taobao, it was much more common. And I just thought, why is this girl posed in this way? Now, you mentioned at the very beginning, when I referred to the people who make these companies to make these dolls, you also said some women. So there are some women who are involved in these companies that produce sex dolls of girls and women. That's right. There are some women who, um, who have made the decision that it's potentially quite profitable to be uh, working in this space, um, it, which is really disappointing because I, I find it feels like more of a portrayal when women participate. Uh, but I think it's, it's quite effective on their end because it helps them to shed the image a little bit of, you know, the, the trade in female bodied sex dolls and robots for men's sexual use. It helps them to kind of make it seem less that way. They can sort of, you know, it just to have a female face, it's, it's harder for, for people to call it out and say, this is sexist. This is uh, rape culture. This is objectifying and it's woman hating. Cause they're like, well, we're women and we're happy. We're fine with it. So, um, but yeah, the inherent misogyny of the trade in female body robots doesn't just disappear because a few women at the top are making money from it. But um, yeah, there are women who are trying to portray it as empowering and sex positive, even as they're profiting from the dehumanization of and and rape culture but um, I don't know how effective these women are actually being I, I'm not sure I have seen some a few women in this space who appear to have kind of gone a bit quiet so I don't know if it's just business isn't great I, I don't know but um, there was one woman uh, who was based in the UK and I believe it was actually her and her husband working as a business and they even employed their teenage son to work with the business which was pretty creepy and icky um, but now it's very much when I see media coverage of their company or on this issue that quotes her, it's very much about the woman and that she's the owner of the company. And I, I just think it's interesting how it's, it's been done. It's sort of like framing as a female endeavor, like, you know, women, like, like a woman run business rather than um, that it's been done by her and her husband. Yeah. I, I think it's convenient to kind of frame it as that because obviously women are into it too. It's fine. It's, it's a gender neutral issue. It's not gendered when it obviously is incredibly that way. But yes, yeah, so there are women who, who do participate in that way. Have you seen maybe where your words have affected change, your work has affected change outside of your organization? That's a really good question. Uh, I mean, I, obviously that this book does motivate people, particularly people with the means to make change, um, you know, to, to act. Um, generally, I would say I can speak for a collective shout and say that we've had some pretty extraordinary victories by calling some of these things out, whether it's getting child sex abuse dolls removed from major online global platforms or having porn magazines shut down after our campaigns or getting rid of sexist advertising or sexualizing 
clothing for children. We have had a lot of major wins over the years. We also, we've been campaigning and had success on um, trying to get pornography age verification into Australia uh, to protect children from exposure to porn. Unfortunately, the government has changed over in the last few months. So we just have to call on the new government and make sure that they're on board and committed to that as well. But so yeah, our work does definitely affect uh, change. Um, in terms of my own writing, it's, it's hard to say, I, I hope so. But um, yeah, hopefully with the book, hopefully it does um, expose the reality of this industry for a lot of people and people will have a better understanding and just feel more equipped, I suppose, to, to speak out and to take action because everything that I think, I just, I thought I have to share this. I have to, people need to know about this. It's insane and people need to know so they can fight, they can fight back and call this stuff out and call the academics out and call the, the pedophile rights groups out and, and the media, just all of it. So I am hoping that hopefully my book has made things a little bit easier for people to do that. They are going to be a bit more educated and a bit more informed on the issue. I think in a way that some of the feminists didn't want men to be part of the gender movement because they thought they just will add on to the problem by taking the attention from the issue and making it about them, which is not an inaccurate critique. But at the same time, I felt like we needed men to be part of the movement, to call it out and to participate in that. So I also think that we can't get very far with this without men whistleblowing on other men. Are there ways that governments, politicians might be able to create laws to make this kind of whistleblowing a thing, even beyond the sex doll issue? But when you as a man are hearing your friend's friend talk about having sex with a minor, for instance, we're not seeing loads of men going to the police and reporting this. They sort of dump that in the things they don't want to have heard. You know, the list of things I wish I had never heard, but they don't act on it. Is there something that governments could do to maybe make it more of a possibility that men who are privy to hearing about these repulsive acts, that where they might be able to whistleblow on each other? Or did you find in your research that these are things that men don't talk about? Let's say having sex with a sex doll in the likeness of an infant. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I mean, on the pedophile forums, obviously the men are quite open because, you know, they're often anonymous or they, they know they're in a safe space to reveal all of that. And they do often share some pretty horrible stuff. They, they'll share videos of them using their dolls or even infant dolls, or they'll take requests from other forum members about what to do next in their next video. So, I mean, that's a space where men are openly discussing these things. Other than that, I, I'm not, I can't really say uh, about men being open with other people about this. It's, it's hard to know. But in terms of laws, I don't know about that specific concept. I know in Australia we do have, we have sort of more like educational campaigns that are directed towards addressing men's violence against women. And it's about changing attitudes and addressing kind of casual sexism and disrespect earlier. So it's something like stop it at the start. And it's about encouraging particularly men to like speak up and when they see something that's not right to call it out or to just to have a quiet word or something, but to, to challenge these things before they get worse. So there's, 
I mean, that's sort of intention in one sense, but then in, in another sense, you know, in Australia, we're legalizing and decriminalizing the sex trade. So entrenching men's sexual, sexual entitlement into the law and um, all kinds of things that really go at odds, are at odds with um, addressing men's violence against women. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be incredibly optimistic, but that's an interesting idea, sure. No, um, I just think about these issues as I have to read about them or do research on them. And I get really saddened by the fact that it seems that the one constant, if we had to jump back to the Middle Ages, the one constant that we see is the ongoing exploitation of women and children. That doesn't seem to have budged very much. And in reading your book, I kept thinking about why this persists. Is it just misogyny? Is it just sexism? Because I think, and is even I critique myself, is it just capitalism? I do push myself to think of what is causing the commodification of women and children's bodies and lives to such a degree that instead of getting more consciousness created out there, that now we've got women CEOs, men mm. CEOs creating sex doll industries, calling it progressive. Yeah, that's right. And um, I guess the focus now is is more on you know the choice and reclaiming objectification and empowerment and all these buzzwords that don't really mean anything or, or don't change reality or the conditions of women and girls. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I do get very frustrated by the use of the word empowerment or empowering to as a defense for everything when as a defense for, you know, even men's violence against women, you know, some women find it empowering, some women like it, some women like being abused or choked or whatever it is, but, but just that that can be used as a defense for anything. It shuts down any critical analysis, any discussion and women and children are still being exploited. They're still being harmed, but we're supposed to accept that it's on their terms or that they like it or that they choose it. Mm -hmm.